Today's message is called Remember Your First Love. It's taken from Revelation 1.19. Let's start there. It says, Remember John was on the island of Patmos and Jesus appeared to him and showed him a vision and started speaking to him. And so Jesus continues in this revelation to John. He says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So when this happened, there was no calendar that was given to John as well. Actually, there was a calendar. It was called the Bible. So a lot of people get tongue up and when this happened, did it already happen? Did some of it have its fulfillment, which some of it did? And when does it happen? And so God said to look to the words and to look to the signs of the times. And if you're looking around the signs of times, you see some things are getting close, whatever that means, to the end times. When John saw the Lord on the island of Patmos, God gave him a directive. He said to listen, to write, and to share. The same thing he says to us. Listen to my word. Listen to my commands. Write it down. Journal what God is speaking to you. And then share it with others. We are supposed to, we are called to share Jesus with others. That's what a Christian is. Not just one who goes to church, but one who shares the good news of Jesus. It's why we have the Bible today. It's why we have access to this great revelation, this book, the book of Revelation. But Jesus also gave us an understanding as well. And so as we look at the book of Revelation, sometimes there's an immediate understanding of what it means. But other times we have to go back in Scripture and pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. And so sometimes there's different interpretations of Revelation. But I want to begin with this verse right here. Revelation 1.20. Revelation 1.20. Jesus is speaking and he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So Jesus is going to give this revelation to John about these seven churches. Now the seven angels, just understand that there's different interpretations on that. Some believe that there is a different angel assigned to each church. Others believe that... that that the word angels is the same word in the Greek that was used to describe John the Baptist when it said, my messenger will come before you. So it might just mean a, a messenger of that church or like a church leader. Others believe it may have been some way that, remember, John was um, banished to the island of Patmos, and so there must have been some way for that, those letters to get back to those churches. So maybe some people came to go give that word to the church. Um, but irregardless, that's some thoughts on the angels. Um, but the lampstand, he said, were the seven churches. These were actual churches in Asia Minor at the time. And they're described as lampstands. A church is a lampstand because we give light. The people of God, both as individuals and as congregations, are called to be bearers of light. Jesus told us as his followers to be the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And as we know, a light of the world is not supposed to be hidden under a lampshade. We're supposed to go into all the world and to share our light. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're so bogged down by what's happened in the world and what's happened in the world is not good in a lot of places. And sometimes we get bogged down and we share without realizing that we share more darkness than light. But Jesus called us to be light bearers and to be lamp stands. 
And since Jesus is the true light of the world, it makes sense that He is standing in this revelation. He's standing among the lampstands in the middle of the church. He is the light that we shed abroad. If churches or individuals, however, are shining lights on themselves, some churches shine a light on themselves or their own ministries or their own programs and they're not shining His light. We're called to shine the light of Jesus and we find that in the Word of God. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands. So at first I want you to understand that these letters are all given to churches. Believers. Okay? These are not letters to the unbelievers or the heathens of the world. They're all letters to churches. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus says that God chastens those He loves. God disciplines those He loves. God prunes those He loves so that they can bear more fruit. So these are warnings to the churches about they're doing some things right or they came to Jesus and because of the world, because it wears us down, they've kind of got off path. Understand, although these were real messages to seven real churches, there's also a prophetic meaning for each of us as well today. Each of these warnings are traps that any one of us could fall into if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and continue to follow His commands. And how many know that it's tiresome in this world that we get pulled off by things that happen that are unfair or get hurt or get offended? That's why we have the church. That's why the Bible says... Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Because we need one another to push us back on the right path, to encourage us, to sharpen us, to, to, to hold us accountable. That's what the church is supposed to do, to keep us together. These warnings are not to heathens. They're not to unbelievers. These are warnings and oftentimes rebukes to the churches full of Christians who had begun to backslide and didn't even reel it because after all, they were in a church. I'm going to church. I pray once a day, whatever they might say. I'm okay, but are we really? We are supposed to continue to come to God to let Him carve those things off of us so that we continue to grow in God. Therefore, it behooves us to take each warning to heart, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict when He finds any way in us that is not pleasing to Him. One of the worst things that we could do at disservice to ourselves is to come to church and say, I hope He's listening to this. Boy, my husband needs to hear this one. Boy, God's really hitting my wife on this one right now. Okay? So one of the, and that, That's what our flesh wants, Dick. Our flesh doesn't want to take the hit, so we want to push it off on someone else. But really, if we're saying we want to become like Jesus, then we're saying, if there's anything in me, God, if there's any way then take care of it, God. I'm not asking it's not open mic night to get up and share your sins. Okay? It's not what this is for. But it's always open God night with God. So in your quiet time with God, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I'm struggling with the stronghold. I keep falling to this temptation. God, I need you. The Bible says to confess your sins to God. That's what we're trying to do. And so as we talk about these warnings, Understand that God is not trying to shame you. He's trying to bring something to the surface so that you will acknowledge it and freely lay it down so God can redeem you. Amen? 
as Jesus looks at the heart, the inner motivations of the church of Ephesus, He does the same thing with us. It's not a time to deny that you have a weakness. I have many weaknesses. It's not a time to deny that you have sinned. The Bible says we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. This is the time to be honest with yourself first and then also with God. He asks us to come to Him and lay down our burdens and lay down our sins and open our hearts to Him. And if we are honest and we take these warnings to heart, when we are convicted, we will confess our sins to God and we will repent. Repent is not a time of shame. Repent means I'm going to do a 180 degree turn. I was following the world. I was following my flesh. I was following my logic. And now I'm going to turn and I'm going to start following God. I might not understand it, but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to come back to Him. So repent is a time where we take it serious. We come back to God. A lot of times in our messages, we always have a song of reflection. And so maybe in that song of reflection, you heard something in the message that kind of struck you. And in that time, you acknowledge it before God quietly. God, I need your help. I have sinned. I want to come back to you. That's what Jesus is saying in all these messages. Repent. Come back to me. This is the blessing of Revelation. God gives us the opportunity to be honest, to clean our slates, to wash us white as snow, no matter what we've done. But we have to be honest with God and take this time seriously. So as we discuss this first church, which is at Ephesus, and you know Ephesus, the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. Let us understand what Jesus was saying to the Ephesians. But let us also, in light of this prophetic message, let us examine our own lives and our minds and our hearts and our motivations to see what rings true with each of us that we may give it up to the Lord. Revelations 2, verse 2. Here's the revelation. Jesus is saying, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You see, to this first church, Jesus makes a profound statement that immediately satisfies the question of every believer. These questions are, maybe you've asked this before, does God see me? Does God know what I've done? Does He know what I have gone through? Does He know the burdens I carry? Does He know the, the difficult things I have to face? Does He know the difficult people that are in my life? Does God even notice me? And the answer is a resounding yes. He knows your works. He knows your labor. He knows your patience. He sees you when you have fought against temptation. He sees you when you have persevered through trials. He knows the burdens that you have carried when it seems like no one else in the entire world understands what you have gone through. Or maybe what you're currently going through. He sees you. Take heart and know that God sees you. And He is pleased with all that you have done in His name 
to resist the powers of darkness. The truth is that sometimes we go through an awe, a difficult challenge or a difficult season and we get through it and, huh, and maybe our flesh is like, well, did anybody notice what I did? Did anybody notice that I didn't give up, that I persevered? That I trusted God all the way? Did anybody notice? And there's no one around. God sees that. God sees you. The Ephesians had taken God's Word to heart and shared the uncompromising truth of His Word. They tested false teachers and called out false apostles. Not by judging their charisma or how well they spoke, but by lining up everything from the, with the Word of God. Unfortunately, some false teaching goes on today because people have the gift of charisma. Leaders of nations and leaders of uh, false churches have the gift to speak and the gift of charisma. And people follow the charisma instead of taking that, what they're saying and lining it back up with the Word of God. This church at Ephesus did that. They found out the false apostles and the false teachers by lining up everything with the Word of God. It's the same thing that He calls us to do. For there are many false teachings even today that appeal more to the flesh than to the Spirit. If you are in a church and every single time you hear a message, it just makes you feel all tingly and warm fuzzies inside, I would say check it. Because the Word of God was meant to bring conviction to our hearts to change. Now, there are positive messages and, 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 and positive things. There's always hope in every message. But because we're flesh and spirit, our goal is to have the flesh die so the spirit can live up, rise up and live. And so there should be an uncomfortableness as the spirit is convicting our flesh of the things that need to change. The truth of the matter is that the Word is given to us to convict. To reveal truth. To lay us bare before the Lord so that He can take away our sins. So He can bring healing and deliverance. And so He can redeem our lives for His glory. Amen? Listen, if we are not open to conviction because we think the message is too hard to hear, then we choose to hold on to our flesh more than the Spirit. The Ephesian church held to the Word of God and did not compromise their teachings to grow their church, as some do. Some say, if I continue to preach difficult messages, then people won't want to come. But if I teach a lot of fluff, then people will come and feel good about themselves and pat themselves on the back and say, I'm doing good. I want to come to this church. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to deliver the Word, let the Holy Spirit convict and do His work, and that's what brings people to God. The Ephesians did not compromise the Word of God. They didn't compromise the teachings to grow their church or to grow their popularity or their influence. They stayed true to the Word. We need to continue to do the same as well. Revelation 2, verse 3, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for My name's sake and have not become weary. Sounds like a great church. The Ephesians demonstrated great perseverance and great patience even in the face of great persecution. Early Christians labored greatly for His name's sake. They did not become weary even in the face of death. Especially when they were asked to denounce Christ. 
Now, this is starting to happen around the world. We're going to talk more about it next week. We talked about the persecuted church. But there are churches around the world right now, the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted. We've talked about this in India and China and Afghanistan and all these places around the world where persecution is the daily walk of a Christian. People are asked to denounce Christ. If they would just denounce Christ, they will be spared. But the Bible tells us that a true Christian draws his or her strength from Jesus and continues to persevere. In fact, before you think that you've been given too great a burden to bear, before you think that you've been given too long of a trial to walk through, too unfair of a burden, do you understand all that, that we're called to do, all that we are called to do to persevere? I want to share these verses with you in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about the early saints, and maybe you've heard stories about this. But these are what the early saints did to persevere. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 35, says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They could have got out of it, but they said, No, no, I want to die honorably for Jesus and obtain a better resurrection, so I don't want deliverance because I'm going to die for my Lord and Savior. Verse 36 Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, which means that they were tempted to give up, to get rid of the pain. If you would just denounce Jesus, if you would just say that Jesus is not Lord, we will let you go and we will let you live. They were tempted. They did not give up. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Even the world was not worthy to hold these men and women and children of God who hung on to Jesus, not in their own strength, but because they yielded their spirit and God gave them the strength to continue. These early Christians were not delivered of their trials on this earth, but they received a heavenly inheritance which will last forever. Listen, God sees all that you go through. Even when you think you have failed, that you have lost, that there is nothing good that comes of your struggles, God sees your perseverance and He sees your heart. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. He is your strength. Let it be known to God, God, I'm struggling. God, I feel like giving up. God, I feel the whole world's against me. God, I need You. And He will give you strength. We need to go to Him. The Ephesians had done all this. They persevered. They had patience. They had not become weary in doing good. So where's the warning? It sounds like they're a great church. Revelations 2, verse 4. Here it is. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The Ephesians had worked so hard at following the commands of God, they taught the uncompromised truth. They lined up all their actions with the Word. They called out false teachers. They persevered 
through trials and persecution, but still they had missed the mark that God had set for them. Does God expect us to be perfect? No. But He does, rem- he does call us to remember our first love. They were so focused on the disciplines of the Christian faith that they forgot what first brought them to Jesus and what made them want to follow Him in the first place. What was it? It was His perfect and His precious love. This very first warning to the church at Ephesus is significant because it is the first warning to all who choose to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, I remember coming to the Lord when I was about 28 years old. I had grown up in a church, in a traditional church, and I knew the Bible stories, and I knew that Jesus loved me because I knew the song. But in 28, God grabbed a hold of my heart and mind and gave me a greater revelation of who He is. And at that point, I made a commitment to follow Him as my Lord and Savior. I'm 53 right now. That means my, I've been following the Lord for 25 years. I believe that's right. Some of you have been a lot, 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 lot longer. Praise God. But do you remember what it was like when you first came to the Lord? Do you remember that first love? When you came to Jesus in need of what no one else could give, in need of forgiveness, in need of understanding, in need of truth, in need of healing and direction and redemption. Do you remember that personal revelation when you first realized that He loved you in spite of your shortcomings, that you didn't have to get all cleaned up first to come to Him, that He loved you and accepted you right where you're at, but He loved you too much to keep you that way. So as you continue to come to Him, He continued to make you more like Himself. Do you remember that? He loved you in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your sins. Do you remember how His love flooded your mind. It was all that you could think of at the time. In fact, for some of you, probably like me, that's all you could think about or talk about so much that the people around you got sick of you. Would you stop talking about that? Would you come back down out of the clouds? Because some of you had such a radical change in your life that the people, they probably got annoyed by you, but you didn't care because you felt the love of Jesus and you just wanted to just bask in that love. That First love. Do you remember when He overwhelmed your soul, your mind and your will and your emotions? Do you remember how excited you were because of the change happening in your life, both on the inside and on the outside? Do you remember that you were so excited that you just had to tell everyone you met about Jesus, about what He had done in your life and how much He means to you? People you knew, people you didn't know, people you were afraid to tell right now, but you didn't care. You were like an overflowing fountain and just had to share that first love. Do you remember how you wanted to share the same love and fullness of joy with everyone you knew? So you invited people to church, your family, your friends, your neighbors, someone you ran into at the grocery store. You invited people to come to church, to come to Bible studies to come to other events with Christian brothers and sisters? Do you remember how everything you did was because you were riding on this huge wave of love? You didn't do things out of obligation. When I grew up in a traditional church, and I'm very glad for my upbringing, 
But when I grew up in a traditional church, I had to go to church because my parents made us. And my parents, the ones, I had a big family that we were, because we were a big family trying to get to church on Sunday, we didn't always get ready on time. So we were always a couple minutes late. And my mom would march us all down and make us all sit in the front row. Five boys and one girl. Fighting the whole time, you know, noogies and all that. We went to church because we had to, not because we wanted to. There's times we got blessed out of it, but we went because we had to. But when you got that first love of Jesus, that first revelation, you wanted to be at church. You wanted to be at, at, at events. You wanted to be at prayer gatherings and worship nights. You wanted to hear the Word of God speak directly to you. You served and you got involved and came to church and invited others simply because you absolutely loved Jesus. And no one could deter you from living in and being empowered by that love. So what happened? Where has that love-fueled fire gone? That is exactly what Jesus asked of the Ephesians. Do you remember your first love? Not just your service and the Word and studying and testing the apostles, but do you remember that first love that motivated you? For it is, we need to continue to remind ourselves and remind others of this love. It is the only fuel that is truly renewable to live on the power of His love. To let that be the motivation for everything we do is His love. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No matter what I go through, if I just remember that I am loved, God gives me new mercies each day. I am loved each day even though I messed up yesterday, even though I fell on my face, even though I walked away or sinned or got in this conversation I shouldn't have been, even though I let my eyes wander or my thoughts wander. His mercies are new every morning. I remind you again, no matter what you have gone through, no matter how you have failed, no matter what has wearied you in this life, no matter what you have done or felt or said or thought, His mercies are brand new every single morning. I believe someone right here today needs to hear that message, that God is speaking directly to your heart. No matter what you have done, His mercies are new every morning and they are available for each and every one of you. This very morning, He comes to you and says, do you remember your first love? Do you remember, God is saying, do you remember when we first met? Do you remember that love that raptured your heart? What will it take to return to that time of being in love with Jesus? Where you can't even help but tell everyone you run into about Jesus. What will it take for you to begin inviting your neighbors? For you to begin inviting your friends, your family, and others to join you in your walk with Jesus? 
I'll tell you what it'll take. It'll take each one of us returning to the thrill, the overflowing joy, the precious and powerful realization of His wonderful love. This is what God calls us to do. To remember our first love. Revelations 2, verse 5. Jesus continues, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. Come back to Me. And do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Come back to Me. Jesus commands the Ephesians to return to their first love, to repent and to do the first works. He could just as easily be saying this to any one of us who have left our first love. Therefore, we must all consider where we stand today. Do we choose to only serve? To only worship? And to only witness based on our comfort? Or based on our feelings? Or based on our time schedule? Or do we truly allow the love of Jesus to permeate all that we do so that all things we are doing are out of love? This is a crucial question and an even more crucial warning. For look at the consequence that happens if we don't return to our first love. Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, we could be doing all the right things and testing people and persevering through trials, but if we've lost the first love, we've lost Jesus. As shared earlier, the lampstand represents the church. So Jesus is saying that if we are not doing things out of love, and being motivated by love, then He will remove His Spirit from a church that is all about doctrine, but less about love. Or all about programs, but less about compassion and unselfish giving. The risk is too great for any of us not to be honest with God and not to be open to the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to us where we are off in any way whatsoever. Revelation 2, verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus continues with His commendation to the Ephesians by encouraging them to do the, the good things that they are continuing to do and standing against the false teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now since Jesus also refers to this to the church of Pergamos, in a couple of weeks we'll cover that, the Nicolaitans, a little bit more in depth, to see what that false teaching is about and how it's around even today. But we go to our last verse, Revelation 2.7. Jesus finishes this letter by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. We're going to hear that again and again on each letter. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus means is to him who is open for conviction. 
To him who comes to the Lord not to pat themselves on the back, but to say, God, find anything in me that does not satisfy you. I want to hear your truth so I can take anything in me and lay it down so I can become more like you. To her who is willing to consider herself. To anyone who is willing to be vulnerable and honest with the Lord in hopes of purifying your own heart, cleansing your own minds, and continuing to allow the Spirit to sanctify your life unto Him. Understand when we get into Revelation, we're asking God to sanctify us. Salvation is when we come to the Lord, we realize that our sins are forgiven, and that our eternity is secure in Him. But then God says, don't stop there. I want to sanctify you. I want to set you apart from the world. You can't do it by your own will or by your own power. But if you spend time in My Word and hear My voice, I will set you apart from the world. I will make you become more like Me. That's how those saints could persevere. That's how they could persevere under great persecution. Is they were sanctified. And that's what God wants to do for every one of us. It's impossible for us to say, what would I do if there was a gun to my head and said to denounce Jesus? None of us could answer that, answer that because we have not been fully sanctified yet. Because we would think in our own power, how could we do that? But if we were sanctified, the power of God would allow us to continue to seek God no matter what would face us in the temporal earth. God asks all of us to be sanctified to Him. If anyone reads through these seven letters and cannot identify with any of these warnings, you are fooling yourself. We should never be content with where we are in our walk with Christ. We all have things to improve upon. We all have areas that we all need to work on. But we must come to Him willing to change. Willing to be redeemed by His grace and His power and most of all, by His love. And if we respond to His warning, if we repent and come back to our first love, if we remember Him, if we remember our first love and live like it in all we do, notice the reward that He freely gives us. We will eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see, it's full circle. If we keep love first and sense and remember it and let it motivate us, He brings us back to the garden before sin entered the world, before imperfections ruled. He brings us back to the garden, the beauty and the promise of the garden where we are in God's presence continually for all eternity. His love is calling us home. Will you return to your first love? Heavenly Father, I pray, God, as we take Your Word to heart, as You have convicted us, God, in ways of maybe that we weren't even aware. We don't shame ourselves, but we acknowledge where we have left the path in any way whatsoever. Speak to our hearts, our minds to say, Lord God, help us to come back to You and to run to You for Your love, for Your embrace, for Your forgiveness. Help us to remember You, to remember our first works. Let us be motivated by that love. Help us to remember You.
Jesus' name, amen.